Um, I'm just going to share some thoughts and some reflections. Um, one of the great things about me getting older is I'm getting slower. Uh, to be honest, you might not realize this, but I've lost a half a step. I can still slam dunk a basketball, but it has to be an eight-foot rim. <laughs> I'm getting more done doing less. There was a time in my life when I drove 25 miles each way to work, taught 200 junior high students, coached, led a Monday night home group, went to a pastor's, my pastor's home group on Tuesday, went to a leadership meeting group every Wednesday, and I went to graduate school on Thursday night. I grossed $5,900 a year. I netted $440 a month. It was tight. I ran every day after work, and the rest of my time was used to counsel and disciple, sometimes at 11 at night when I got back, sometimes at 6 a.m. for one of those breakfasts. You're looking at a man that was on the move for God. My daytimer was full of appointments, uh, maybe a precursor to cell phones and Facebook and Twitter, but I was pushing it hard going after the kingdom. It was in this atmosphere that my dear wife Dudley said, uh, do you think we could hang out at the park on Saturday? And I said, let me check my daytimer. You're in luck. We get to go. So we get to the, uh, we get to the park, and Aaron, who's here, was one year old. And so we go by the swing set, and I'm, I'm out there, and I'm just pushing my one-year-old. Spaceman is pushing my one-year-old, and Dudley says to me, I want to go home. I said, what? She doesn't know I'm going to say this tonight. I said, what? What do you mean? We're here. You wanted to come to the park. She said, yeah, you're here. Your, your body's here, but you're not here. I wanted to say, um, we worked it out, <laughs> and yesterday we celebrated 43 years of unmitigated bliss, correct? <laughs> Correct. That's you not. <clears throat> I want to recommend a book to everyone that I've never read. I'm judging this book by its cover. It's called Slow Church. It grew out of something called the slow movement of the 1980s. The slow movement challenges the notion that faster is always better. The slow philosophy is not about doing everything at a snail's pace. It's about seeking to do everything at the right speed, savoring the hours and minutes instead of just counting them. It's about seeking to do everything at the right speed, um, doing everything as well as possible instead of as, as fast as possible. It's about quality over quantity and everything from work to food to parenting. The message that we get today is if you want to hang on, you better speed up. But our basic human needs never change. The need to be seen and appreciated the need to belong, the need for nearness and care, and the need to love and be loved. A church consultant named David Fitz says, the only way the church can be the church as God wants it to be is when people of the church slow down enough to become the church, recognize the long-term effects and consequences of church structures and individualized lifestyles built around efficiency control and hypermobility, fighting the McDonaldization of the church. Slow church spurs passionate imagination of God's purpose in small, everyday happenings. 
of our lives together with Him. It's a call to the simple goodness of life made possible with God in community. Slow church, the grit and grace of life together, food, farming, forming faith and friendships cannot be rushed. Neither can the church and neither can the kingdom. Slow church is not lazy or bad, but rich and meaningful. Slow church challenges us to savor, not devour, the blessings of God in community. Patience is a virtue. Food tastes better when it's marinated. Church is no different. A kingdom-centric church that is simply fulfilling the purpose of witnessing to Jesus in the rhythm of God's grace. It is long obedience in the same direction. To a measure, I'm grateful. I think it describes part of what we're trying to do or what we've been doing out in California. But I want to look back. It was 1975. I was at a conference of about 5,000 men. and It was called the Kansas City Shepherds Conference. I remember our confused cab drivers saying, I didn't know there were that many shepherds out there. <laughs> it was an amazing conference. Some of you were there and can testify to the powerful and prophetic voice that was being thundered through the room. One prophecy that stood out to me was that God was going to raise up shepherds who would leave the 99 and go to the one, would raise up shepherds who would go up into the high country and the cliffs and the rocks and heal and grab and bring back the wounded and lost. That this was going to happen and that the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I was just sitting there and I was going, hallelujah, hallelujah, but this is too big a word. How does that work? It's too, I mean, I mean, too big a word. At that time, I was a 27-year-old school teacher. At that time, I didn't know one person who had ever gone to the mission field. At that time, I never even remotely considered moving to California. And here I am. It's been 38 years there. I have been at the church for 1,902 Sundays. When I get to my 2,000th Sunday, they're going to stuff me. And they're going to put Botox in my cheeks. And I'm going to have a chatty Cathy pull toy that they can pull. So when people come in the foyer, I'll go, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It's been that long. It's been 28 years. And it's been good. But we have people here today that have been all over the globe. If we named all the countries, it is amazing that that prophecy of 1975 was fulfilled in part with people in this very room who weren't even born in 1975 because his word will not return void. He is moving in the earth and it is so exciting to be here crossing over with IOM and all that that God is a God of the whole earth. He owns it all. He's got the title deed, and it's exciting. Tempest Fugit, Time Flies from 1975. There was a young Harvard grad named Eric Schenkel, a young pastor in Boston, and next week he and Brian are going to celebrate 40 years at their church. 
in Boston. That's worth, you know, a little applause. It's a great, great thing they, they have done there. In 1975, Paul, when this word was given, Paul Peter was pastoring in Lexington, Kentucky. There was no IOM. There was no going to the nations. It was the Christ Center and trying to get hippies saved. 1975, Robert Grant had just started something called Life Ministries in Albany, Georgia. Gerald Ford was president. And our governor was a guy named Jimmy Carter who was thinking of running for president when that word was given. Dudley and I had been married three years with a beautiful one-year-old daughter who's here tonight, and she survived our Pinto wagon, which didn't have a car seat. I don't know how we got through that. But God, during that time, was putting roots, roots in us. Nothing in our lives is ever wasted. Nothing. The, the worst pit, wherever you have been, I have been, it is not wasted. He redeems it all. That which has been already and that which, has, that which will be has already been, for God seeks what is passed by. Ecclesiastes 3.15. Whatever he's called us to do, he's going to give us the time to do it. We don't need to be in a rush. He's given us the time. The words we hear about Christ and his kingdom take root in us every day, one foot in front of another, the will of God right in front of our nose, and the roots go deeper. God's timing is not our timeline. He's not in a hurry because we're in a hurry. Our job, if you've put your hand to the plow, is to not take your hand off the plow and keep going. The Word of God tests us. In Psalm 105, 17, he says, He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They afflicted his feet with fetters. He himself was laid in irons until the time that the Word came to pass. It says, The Word of the Lord tested him. It's an amazing story. His teenage dreams, he was betrayed by his brothers, he's sold into slavery, he's considered dead, he's a convicted felon and sex offender, and he's languishing in an Egyptian prison. I wouldn't call that a high time. He was an amazing man. The word of the Lord tested him. It didn't, the word tested him. It doesn't say the word of the Lord blessed him. The word of the Lord edified him. The word of the Lord tested him. And we too are being tested. Our faith, our trust, our hope. These words test me. As truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Numbers 14, 21. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of his peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Isaiah 9, 7. 
But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen nor ear heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. 1 Corinthians 2.9 And we know that God causes all things to work together for those that, are called by, for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. These words test me, test us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for thy sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved him. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. These words test me. Those are my roots, my conviction, my hope, my anchor, and I believe they are your roots and your conviction and your hope and your anchor. Thy word is truth. Sanctify me in truth. As Matt mentioned, I was in business the first 10 years I was in California. I was paid solely on commission. I never had a salary. So it was kind of like every day was reaching and risking and going out. I didn't like my job. I didn't want to be a salesman. I really didn't like it. But she'd starve, and the kids would starve, so you don't work, you don't eat. I, I learned to be a decent salesman, but it required faith and reaching every day. There was no salary, no guarantees, and more than once, uh, we didn't have the rent on the 10th of the month. It was embarrassing. I want to share a testimony. It's not, it pales in comparison to Joseph, but it's how the word of the Lord tested me at a particular time, and it, I want to bring it forward because it, it means so much to me. We were renting our house in Mission Viejo, and it was sold out from under us. We had nowhere to go, so I went to rent another house, and I went down, and I was talking to the landlord, and as I was talking to her, she put, up, she put the, the lease in front of me, and it was two years lease, for, and it said $15,500. I said, man, that's what it all adds up to. And she, uh, she kept saying, sign here, sign here. And she's putting the pen towards me. And I reached for the pen. And as clear as I've ever heard from the Lord, he said, I want you to buy. I mean, it, it, it startled me. And I've not had that kind of thing happen that way, but very, very rarely in my, in my life. And so I literally, I mean, you got a picture. I'm getting ready to sign. I said, and this isn't like me. I'm, I, I just, I, said, I gave her the pen back and I said, I'm sorry, I'm not going to rent. I'm not going to take it. She said, what, what's wrong with you? What do you do? This is a wonderful... I said, I'm sorry, thank you so much. And I left and I went home. I talked to my pastor. I asked him if he thought I was crazy. And he said, well, it, that could be the Lord. I said, well, that's good. And uh, why don't you move in with us? So we moved into a hide-a-bed. Slept on a hide-a-bed with one of those bars across the back. That's why I still have back problems today. We slept on that for five months. Two little kids... And we lived with Jim and Debbie Matthias. We paid them a nominal rent. And, um, but they were so neat. They had little tea towels everywhere and stuff. And I, I was trying not to mess it up. You know, how, you know how that is. 
And so the process started. And we had a realtor in the church. Um, he started showing us around. And um, all these homes, and I kept saying, um, no, I don't think so. He said, Kevin, Kevin you, you, are, you are not think I'm flaky because he's working. I don't think I get a better deal than this. I said, well, the deal you're offering, I can't afford that house. He said, well, you can find someone to get you the money because you're not going to get anything. If you don't strike while the iron's hot, you're done. I said, well, I'll tell you what. I don't want Ishmael, I want Isaac. And he said, what are you talking about? Because he, I just, I wanted whatever God wanted for that thing. So we, I'm going through this process. It's five months and I started to wear down and I was talking to Jim Mathias and I said to him, I don't know, and he looked at me and he said, well, yeah, I don't know, all you've got to go on is the word you got in the beginning. And I said, wow. That was like a second great revelation. I said, that was everything. So we started, I said, yes. You know, so within 48 hours, I was at a trade show in Los Angeles, and I get a message. We didn't have cell phones. And it, it says, your wife just bought a house. <laughs> now, I had $700 in the bank. She put 500 down. The night before this happened, we were at Jim and Debbie's, and we had never owned a microwave. And Dudley says to me, she says, listen, when we move, I really want to get a microwave. And I said, yeah, if we can afford it, we'll get, we'll get one. So anyway, I got home. She never saw the house she bought. I never saw the house. We got home, and I pulled up and said, let's go look at our house. It's on a street. All the homes had lawns. In California, we don't have, we get sod. You know, it's just, it's brown, and then they bring in sod. There's one house on the street that's brown. It was a house that fell out of escrow a year ago. No one ever moved into it. It was originally sold for 90000 and now is worth 120. And they called up Dudley, and they wanted to give it to her at the original price. All those kinds of deals are always done inside, you know, with, within the company. And we didn't know how it happened, so we bought the house. We had the contract, look through, the, look through, and there's the double-decker stove, and it's a microwave. So our story is God went to a lot of trouble to get Dudley a microwave. <laughs> so, we, that, so that's the process. Then how we got the down payments, another miracle in the whole process. And then they call me for, to go to escrow, and they come down, and they say, uh, I sit down, and they say, Mr. Davenport, I'm sorry, you don't qualify for the house. We're going to have to take it away from you. I said, okay. I'd like to talk to the person that told you that. They said, you can't. You can't. It's a corporation. They, I said, well, let me ask you a question. Was there a human being you talked to? And she said, yeah. I said, well, I want to talk to you. She says, you can't. This is all done in corporate. It's not even in California. And I said, you know what you're telling me? You're telling me I can't fight. I said, will you fight for me? She, looked, she was caught off guard and she said, yeah, I'll fight for you. And I said, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to write a letter right now and I want you to call that human voice. All I want you to do is to read the letter. So I said, dear sir, my name's Kevin Davenport, married two kids. I don't remember what I said exactly. And I said, I'm going to call you back at 4 o'clock to talk to you. And she was bewildered, I think, by my boldness. And so I called her back at 4 o'clock and she said, Mr. Amber, I don't even believe this. You got the loan. You got the loan. You know why I was so bold? The word. I knew 
I knew that God himself had spoken to me. Then I had to panic at how I'm going to make the payments. <laughs> it was an amazing story. The, his word tests us. All of you have your own stories, miraculous stories of where it shouldn't work, and it did because God is with us. With one, he puts 1,000 to flight. With two, he puts 10,000. He's at work both to will and to work for his good pleasure in and through our lives. Sometimes I've thought of renaming ACM to manna. What's manna mean? What is it? So we can name ourselves, what is, what is it? A team? Yeah. A family? Yeah. A remnant? Well, yeah. Ultimately, it's men and women rooted in Christ, willing to reach and risk in pursuit of the kingdom of God. It's too diverse to be an organization, and it's too organic to define it. It's entirely biblical, but it's not sectarian. It's simply you. Our rooting is firm. Our reaching is taking place as we gather, and our greatest risk is to shrink back from going forward. I love what Matt said about the older roots and how incredibly important they are. That was, spoke personally to me. <laughs> Rooted and grounded in Christ. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Corey Ten Boom. This is what our past is for. Every experience God gives us expands our reach and depth and breadth. Every person he puts in our lives calls us to risk again a future only he can see. May we join with David when he said, Psalm 31, 14 and 15, But as for me, I trust in thee. O Lord, I say, thou art my God, my times are in thy hands. Amen.